The reading this morning is from the book of Malachi, starting at chapter 3, verse 13. That's on page 962 of the Blue Bibles. Page 962, Malachi, starting at chapter 3, verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Thank you so much, Tracy. We are on a wonderful journey together through the Bible over the course of this year, and we've we're two-thirds of the way through, and we come to the final sermon in the Old Testament this morning. We begin the New Testament uh, this evening. Let's pray together, and uh, we will look at it. Our Lord, we pray that as we come to this passage, you might instruct our minds and warm our hearts and direct our wills so that we might follow you without fear and with deep endurance and joy. 
Amen. <clears throat> well, I've got a question for us to think through this morning, and it's this. Is it worth being a Christian? Is it worth being a Christian? Or to switch it round and put it in the language of our passage, is it futile to serve God? What do you think? Yes? No? Or perhaps you're not sure. I've discovered that it's difficult to sustain faith in this broken world, a world in which there is great evil, sickening crime, natural disasters, deadly diseases, and a thousand other things that come across our news feeds and at which we shake our heads. And these things occur in such a way as clearly makes no distinction between good and bad or between Christian and non-Christian. Adversity is seemingly arbitrary, strikingly indiscriminate. Though if pushed, it often seems like the corrupt prosper, get off scot-free, get away with murder, and seem to live the life of Riley, whoever he was. This is precisely actually what Malachi's countrymen were complaining about, and it's easy to feel at least some sympathy, I think, but they had spoken arrogant and sharp words against God because of this. So they were saying there in verse 14, it is futile to serve God. We're trying to keep the law, Moses, but serving God is making our lives worse. It doesn't pay to be righteous. We're going around like mourners. And there's Brother Eliphaz over there. Everyone knows that he cuts every corner in the book, but he's raking it in. And Joash, well, he's bent as a two-bob note, but he dresses better than Giorgio Armani. Those who aren't Christians, well, they seem to sort of glide through life completely unflustered. They are the blessed ones. They're the prosperous ones, or so it seems. Is it worth being a Christian? And if you know this rhyme, the rain, it raineth on the just and also on the unjust fella but chiefly on the just because the unjust has the just's umbrella. In a seemingly arbitrary and often unjust world, sustaining faith in God is difficult. It's all too easy for us to respond to cynicism, to lose confidence in the God of the Bible, to lose faith and to lose hope. I wonder if you recognize any of that in yourself. I certainly do. Well, that is precisely where Malachi can help us. He can't, of course, deny the negative and demoralizing aspects of our experience. But he does insist that there is another side to the story. He insists that it is worth serving God. That those who don't serve God will be losers in the long run. He insists that it is worth pursuing goodness, 
because those who don't pursue goodness will pay a price for their wickedness in the long run. Is it worth being a Christian? Well, through Malachi, the Lord insists that it really is, and for three reasons. Because God promises, I will remember you, I will spare you, and I will heal you. Well, let's begin then. I will remember you. Churches always contain cynics, people who openly or secretly feel it's vain to serve God. But churches also contain people with contrasting attitudes, those who fear God and genuinely honor his name. And we find them in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence. So here are the people who gather uh, around coffee after the service, and they say, you know what, life is tough, and I'm finding that it's even tougher because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And this terrible thing happened to me, but you know what, I know that God wins, I know that goodness will win out in the end, and so I'm not going to get cynical about it. Well, the Lord listens, and he hears, and he is pleased with such faith. And if that's your attitude, well, his omniscient mind will never forget you. A scroll or a book of remembrance was written in his presence. Now, what is this? What is this book? Well, it is a book that crops up various times right through the Bible. It's there in Exodus, it's there in Daniel, it appears again in the book of Revelation. And it records all those who belong to God, God's people. And it is a book that will be opened on the day of judgment, and if your name is in it, you will be saved. Sometimes it's called the book of life, sometimes it's called the Lamb's book of life. Because anyone found in that book isn't ultimately saved by their serving, but they are saved by the Lamb and by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who served us by sacrificing his lifeblood on a cross of condemnation. See, the Lord has his servants, but even the best of them confess their imperfection and their need of saving grace. Is it vain to serve God? No. Is it worth serving God in a world where the wicked seem to win? Yes. God says, I will remember you, all you who place my reputation above your own comfort, all of you who esteem my name above your own. I will not forget you. I will remember you. You are forever etched in my memory. But, you may ask, and we've already had a hint here, why is that such a big deal? 
Why does being remembered by the Lord, why does that really matter? Well, that brings us to the second promise. God says, I will spare you. So here's why it matters. Verse 17 is why it matters. On the day when I act. Oh, it looks like God is inactive. It looks like he's completely passive in his world. It looks like he's helpless or perhaps even careless. But God has set a day. We know it as the day of judgment. And it is a day when he will act. And on that day, those whom he has remembered and whom he has written in his book, God promises, will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, says God. Now, if you returned home one day to discover your house was on fire, what is the one, th- one thing that you would spare? What is the one thing that you would snatch from the flames? Answer, your treasured possession. And the Lord is adamant that that is how he is going to treat each of his servants on that day. He says, I will spare them. And he wants you to know how serious he is, and so he repeats it. I will spare them, my servants. Now, you, you fathers here, what is, what is the one thing you would save? When apart from... Apart from your wife, uh, that is. I've got to take that as read. And by the way, just, just to say, Wednesday is quite an important day. You'll, you'll thank me for it later. So what is the one thing you would say, save, a, apart from your wife? Well, of course, it's the kids, isn't it? Like any good parent, of course, you save the kids. On the day of fire... The Lord's number one priority will be saving his children, his servants, you. You servants of God, if that's you, you are his treasured possession. And you need to know that. We really need to know that so that we don't become cynical in this broken world, so that we don't lose hope And just start thinking, well, I might as well become like Dodgy Dave or Shady Susan. It really is worth becoming, being a Christian. Because in the end, it pays. At the end, God promises, I will spare you. But what will the Lord spare us from? What kind of judgment is it? Well, according to verse 18, it will be a distinguishing judgment. And right now, that's not at all obvious. It's not at all obvious, is it, that it's good to be good and bad to be bad. But on the day when God acts, it will be obvious because he will make a distinction. Verse 18, see that we will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. It will be a distinguishing judgment. And it will also be a retributive judgment. God will open those books. And those who 
aren't found in it will be cast into the lake of fire. That is the New Testament language. Malachi uses different language there in in verse 1 of chapter 4. He uses the language of a furnace. He says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant, every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Furnace imagery. A day of burning. A day when the wicked, everyone who does not follow Jesus Christ, will be incinerated. Is both graphic and frightening imagery. I don't relish the idea of hell any more than you do. But unless Malachi can say such things, then the cynics are right, aren't they? It isn't worth being a Christian. It is futile. Unless God responds with retribution against the wicked, his righteousness is a complete farce. That's why we can't get rid of the doctrine of hell. That's why we can't stop preaching it. Hell isn't an embarrassment to heaven. God is glorified in judgment. For in judgment, our Lord certifies his righteousness over everyone and everything who dismisses it. And and quite frankly, heaven is glad about that. And we mustn't accept the nonsense that tries to insulate our Lord Jesus Christ from this judgment. As if there's a a difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. According to John the Baptist, this is one of of the aspects of Jesus' ministry. Remember what John the Baptist says about him? His winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And it was Jesus himself who said that he is going to come again in glory and he will separate the sheep from the goats, the true from the false believer, the the sheep he will put on his right and the goats he will put on his left. And he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. Now it won't, it simply won't do In the end, it is Jesus Christ himself who will execute this distinguishing and retributive judgment. See, right now, being a Christian looks like being a loser. When my son beats me from time to time, I obviously let him. (laughs) Well, he he calls me a loser and he says, um, take the L, Dad, take the L. But on the day when God acts, no servant of God will take the L. Because God promises, I will remember you and I will spare you on that day. Is it worth being a Christian? You bet it is. Because there will be winners and losers on that day. 
if faith is going to prevail over the gales of setback and suffering and cope with the realism of this world, you need to know the righteous will win and the wicked will certainly not. Very well then, but what makes it worth being Christian is not only what the Lord will spare us from, but also what he will spare us for. The day of judgment will not only be negative, but outstandingly positive as well. This brings us to God's third promise. I will heal you. I will remember you. I will spare you. I will heal you. See, not only must the wicked lose, the righteous must win. Another way of saying that is to say, God must win. And because God must win, we must win too. It is well worth being a Christian because of the lovely thing that God will bring about for his servants. That old creation full of evil, full of evildoers, will be purged and purified and transformed. Look at the imagery in verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you, you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. See, the Lord says, when you're tempted to think that serving me makes your life worse, that it, doesn't, it just really doesn't pay to be a Christian, I want you to know there is a day that is coming that will be a furnace for some, and for you it will be a day of sunrise healing and frolicking joy. I uh, personally love the sun. I love the feeling of uh, the warmth on, on my skin, that sense that it is doing, at least in moderation, that it's doing me some good. But on the day that God acts, the sun of righteousness will rise. And that is a title that Luke indicates as a picture of Jesus Christ. And the day of his coming brings a day of healing that will never end. Right now, we struggle with the frustration of this creation. You might feel like a loser. You might groan inwardly, but that won't last forever. No, a day is coming that will never end. A day when all of your sufferings will pale into insignificance because of the radiance of his glorious presence. For the Son of God will rise with healing for his servants. And a day will begin on which the sun will never set. Oh, what a day that will be. On that day, says God, I will heal you. And you will experience freedom like you've never experienced it before. You've seen those pictures perhaps on the TV of calves full of energy playing and leaping about without a care in the world. Odd image for us, but for Malachi's readers, very familiar image. For me, the, the nearest I've come is the utter boundless joy and freedom the day my son was born. 
And as I walked um, home afterwards, I was dancing down the street like Michael Jackson, and I was leaping in the air like Michael Jordan. How embarrassing. But you know what? I just did not care. I was experiencing joy, full joy, pure joy. And that is just a taste of the banquet of joy that's in store for you if you trust Jesus Christ. On that day, verse 3 says, you will trample the wicked. Heaven is not embarrassed by hell, and nor will you be. It won't spoil heaven to know that God has judged the wicked It's the only way that heaven can be heaven. You will trample the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act. Is it worth being a Christian? Is it worth serving Jesus Christ? Yes. God promises I will remember you and write you in my scroll. Yes, God promises I will spare you on the day of burning and instead you will be my treasured possession. And yes, God promises, I will heal you on that day. The sun will rise in an eternity of happiness, and you will be happier than you've ever been. If you don't believe that right to your core, then when you experience the frustration of this world, hope will die and you will become a cynic. You will say it is futile to serve God. You might still sit in a church But inwardly, you'll say, it is futile, it's not worth it. But if you join that group that says serving God can be rough, but we know that the alternative will be as rough as hell, then you can have a hope that it will endure, a perspective that will carry you through the real world. Professor David Cook uh, used to be on... uh, Radio 4, The Moral Maze, I think. I'm not sure if he still is. He has a lovely story about an undergraduate um, at Oxford who in his final year wrote a letter back to his parents. Dear Mum and Dad, I know you haven't heard from me much in recent months, but the fact is this. A few weeks back there was a fire in the flat and I lost all my possessions. In fact, I only escaped with my life by jumping out of a second-floor window. In the process of doing so, I broke my leg, so finished up in hospital. Fortunately, I met the most wonderful nurse there. We fell in love, and well, to cut a long story short, last Saturday, we got married. Many of my friends say that this was over-hasty, but I am convinced that our love will more than compensate for our difference in social background and ethnic origin. By this time, Mum and Dad, I suspect you may be getting just a bit worried. So let me tell you straight away, everything I've written up till now in this letter is false. 
The truth is, two weeks ago, I failed my final exams. I just want you to get this in the proper perspective. <laughs> sure, there's evil in the world. Sure, the wicked prosper in the world. We can't deny it. And if you want to get cynical, you can. I just want you to get it in the proper perspective. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. Or it will be a day of healing. And on that day, you will not doubt that it is worth being one of God's servants. So what is Malachi's final call? What is his final PS to us? Not only of his prophecy, but also of the entire Old Testament. He says, remember Moses. For us, of course, that has now been transformed by the coming of Christ, who fulfilled and transformed the law so that we obey the law of Christ. Let us keep carrying out his requirements, because that's just simply what a servant does. And watch for Elijah. For Israel, he was the next step in God's salvation plan, of course. The preacher of repentance who would come and turn hearts of fathers to, back to their children, and vice versa. In fact, the Orthodox Jew still leaves an empty chair at the table for Elijah. But they needn't bother. Elijah has come. As our Lord Jesus Christ tells us in Matthew 11, that Elijah was John the Baptist, the forerunner, the messenger of the Christ to come. And Christ has come, of course, and was rejected. And so he came again in AD 70, in the guise of the Romans, he acted and struck the land of Israel with total destruction. And all of that means that we stand in the same shoes as Malachi's hearers, that God will come, that he will act, that there will be a day of burning for some, up for his servants, a day of frolicking joy. Is it worth serving God? Well, don't ever, ever, ever doubt it. And if you needed any further motivation, further convincing that God loves you, his servant, that he will remember you and spare you and heal you, then look to his ultimate pledge. For there has already been a day when God acted when God so loved the world that he sent his son, his faithful servant, his treasured possession, who feared and honoured him perfectly. And yet he wasn't spared. He was exposed to God's furnace like judgment. The wrath of God at our sins burned away his soul and he was trampled underfoot, and all for our eternal felicity and frolicking joy. 
No one serves God and loses. Just as no one putting God to the test will get away with it. God must win. And because he wins, we will win with him. Let's pray. Father, we confess how difficult it is sometimes to hold hope in our hearts and to keep following you, your son, to think it is worth it and not to think that what we're, we're doing, seeking to be good, seeking to follow after you is worth it. We pray, Heavenly Father, that your truth would convince us otherwise especially in view of that day which is to come. Both it's negative, very negative, but also it's very positive aspects. And we pray that whoever we are this morning, we might respond to what you have been saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen.